0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, The Beginning of Jesus' Passion. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, verses 22 to 31, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Coming of the Son of Man.
1: It's important not to lose hope. You know, when people lose hope, they not only despair, but sometimes, they inflict damage on themselves and others. If you know Christ as your Savior and Lord, you must then also know that your best days aren't behind you. They are ahead of you. Know with certainty that on the day the Father has appointed, the Son will return. This is called the blessed hope of the believers. Titus two twelve to 13 says that we are to live godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So be filled with hope. But so many want to know, how close are we to the appearing of Christ? You know, I saw a website the other day that promised, we're closer to the coming of Jesus than you thought. And my response is, you don't know how close I think the coming of Jesus is, and you certainly don't know the Father's timetable. And I mention this so that we don't get caught up in popular speculation and that we stick with what Jesus actually taught us about this matter. So let's review. To the shock of the disciples, Jesus has told them not to spend so much time marveling at the massive stones of the temple, but that in a short while not one stone would remain on another. And we've also seen that the fulfillment of this prophecy was realized in the year eighty seventy. 70 And furthermore, we've seen that the abomination that causes desolation, that the fleeing to the mountains, that all of that was not about what would happen at the end of the age, but rather what would happen in the year eighty seventy. 70 And that we also saw that the early Christians understood it that way. So when Jerusalem was surrounded by armies, they actually remembered and fled for their lives. And one more thing, We also saw that the destruction of Jerusalem propelled the church to go into the world. And since Jesus said that the gospel must be preached to all the world, and then the end will come, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem served a number of purposes in the prophetic timetable. It ended sacrifice and offerings, emphasizing that Jesus' death on the cross forever ended the need for sacrifice and offerings, and furthermore, it was also judgment for having rejected the Messiah. Jesus' disciples have begun by asking, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And in the first section of Matthew 24, that is up to verse 14, Jesus seems intent on taking away his disciples' desire for exact dates and exact signs. He says, see that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name and will lead many astray. That is, there'll be plenty of false messiahs, false teachings regarding this matter, and for that matter, anything else. And then he tells of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes, famines, persecution against the followers of Jesus. But, says Jesus, the end is not yet. Indeed, before the end comes, this gospel must be preached to all nations or all ethnic groups. And since we don't and can't know to what extent Jesus meant that, we can't know how far we are on the prophetic timetable. In the beginning of Matthew 24, Jesus simply wanted to take the timetable away from the disciples. But then in verses 15 to 21, he goes further and he foretells a near event that is the destruction of Jerusalem and the abomination that causes desolation. And so Jesus ended that part of the teaching. It's found in Matthew 24, 21. He says, for then there will be great tribulation such as not being from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And so today, We pick up Jesus' teaching from that point. And I'm reading Matthew 24, verses 22 to 28. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. And if they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. We need to proceed quite slowly here so we understand the flow of Jesus' thought. I mean, the natural sense of it seems to be saying that immediately after the abomination that causes desolation, that is, immediately after the destruction of Jerusalem and the burning of the temple, and the slaughter of the Jews living in Jerusalem, that those days, notice again verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved or would survive. But I'm going to argue that the reference to those days that we find here is a reference Not to the abomination that causes desolation, but rather to everything that Jesus has taught in this chapter. That is, there are going to be wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, persecution against the followers of Jesus. There'll be a great moment when Jerusalem is destroyed. All of that is intended in the phrase, those days. Now, I want us to slow down and consider that because it's important to understand what Jesus is saying and not saying. See, the critics of the Bible have sometimes made the point that Jesus expected that the world would end immediately after the destruction of the temple. And so they understand those days, as the days of the Jewish war, when the Romans decimated the Jews and sent them from their country, that Jesus thought at that point the end would come. Now, in truth, as we've seen, that's exactly what the disciples thought. But Jesus was already clearly correcting them No, he says, things will go on as before. Wars, earthquakes, persecution, false teachers, the love of many growing cold, some falling from the faith. These, said Jesus, are but the birth pains. The end is not yet. From Jesus' perspective, the destruction of Jerusalem was a very important moment in the growth of the gospel and the spread of the church, but that event did not signal the end of the age. So I come back to the issue. If the reference... To those days is about everything that occurs in the world from the time of his resurrection, the ascension, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, until it becomes a global phenomenon. If That's what Jesus meant. Then Jesus is saying, if the Father simply allowed those days to continue into an indefinite future, then no human would have been saved. And here, by saved, he doesn't mean salvation from sin, but rather salvation from absolute destruction. That is, if the Father didn't reach down and bring those days to an end, the human race would perish. Now, with the advantage of history, we can see this is the case. Not only is the second coming of Jesus the blessed hope of the believer, it's the only hope for human survival. Whether we now stand at the threshold of the Lord's second coming, look, I don't know. But we live in a day when our ability to wage warfare is capable of ending all human life. When a global culture is emerging and yet, human and national divisions is intensifying and deepening and the ability of governments through human technology to monitor every human being, thus making persecution an ever greater possibility, well, you can see where I'm going. Worldwide pandemics, the threat of global climate change, more massive wars, all of that entails, all of it, it leads us to a human race on the brink. Eventually. The human race will run out of roadway. No human being would be saved. Notice the end of verse 22. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, since it's now been 2,000 years since Jesus said these things, some of us have the idea that those days are not cut short. But when we think that way, we forget that the one who speaks of short days is God himself. And he, for the sake of those chosen by the Father to be Christ's followers, for the sake of the elect, not for the sake of the world, but for the sake of the elect, will prevent the world from absolute destruction. And there we can see hope. The Father has his eyes on his children. Yeah, In his divine providence, he has ordained that there would be persecution against his own, sure enough. But he also assures us he's acting globally for the sake of his elect. So, dear follower of Jesus, doesn't that fill you with hope? But then, having given the assurance, notice verses 23 to 25. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. And notice the word, then. So I'm assuming that as we approach the end of the age, so that all humanity is not destroyed, then, if anyone says, here is the Christ, or look, here is the Messiah, here is the Savior of the human race, don't you believe it? And with that, Jesus speaks of false Christs and false prophets. So here, the ultimate false Christ will be the man of lawlessness whom the Bible identifies as the Antichrist, or as Revelation describes him as the beast. So when we approach that era, when it would appear that all human life will come to an end, expect there to be a false and misleading savior. He is the man of lawlessness the one who follows the will of Satan.
0: Everyone has a story. We all come from a beginning and an end, and while it may go largely unnoticed by the world around us, God knows our story and he invites us to unite our story with his. The story of Jesus is not simply something we read. It's a drama which invites preparation and participation. We participate by faith and obedience. So thank you for your prayers and financial support that you offer this ministry. Back to the Bible Canada is committed to telling the whole story of God with consistent, clear teaching of the Bible. Your support ensures the truths of God's word are taught daily. We ask you to consider a gift to support Bible teaching this month perhaps for the first time, or by becoming a monthly partner. To give a gift, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.
1: If I've read Jesus correctly, he's telling us that when it appears that humanity is on the brink, that it might face destruction. Many false prophets and false Christs and false messiahs, false saviors will arise. As the answer to the human crisis, they will arise. Jesus even says they'll perform great signs. That is, they'll be able to perform miracles, appearing as if they're gods in their own right. Again, we're reminded of what John teaches us in the book of Revelation. You see, in Revelation 13, the beast is the Antichrist. A second beast is the false prophet. Listen to what John says about the power of the false prophet, Revelation 13, verses 13 and 14. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth. Now, Jesus back in Matthew 24 says that these false saviors would lead astray even the elect if that were possible. But of course it's not possible. In speaking of his elect, John 10:29 says my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand so we've got a word of assurance it is surely the desire of false saviors to deceive those who belong to christ but christ will protect them and we need to stop here and consider the implications of that while we have a promise from jesus we need to know how that promise actually works If you truly belong to Christ, you'll spend your time familiarizing yourself with the truth. You want to know Scripture. You want to believe in the one truth, once for all, delivered to the saints. If there's one thing that you ought to know well in this world, it should be your Bible. You should know the historic doctrines of your faith. And you should not be wowed by miracles. If you are, you're easily the prey of any number of false teachers who pretend to teach on the basis that they can heal the sick or give you wealth or or claim to have a vision from God and then teach you on the basis of that. See, we, the people of Jesus, are sola scriptura people, scriptures alone. See, I don't care. If the person who shares a vivid vision, or if it's the Pope himself, or if it's a popular charismatic pastor, we will trust in scripture alone. And all of that prepares us for the ultimate day of evil that's coming upon the earth. Having trained ourselves in the truths of the word, we're prepared for the day of deception that will come upon the earth. And so Jesus continues false messiahs, false prophets, will be abundant at the end of the age. And because of the desperation of the human race for a savior, they'll want more. But Jesus has a word for his people, verses 26 to 28. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And that is to say, You will know the Savior, the only Savior, when he visibly appears in the heavens, not when someone claims to be him and shows up in any location on earth. You see, the second coming of our Lord, the only true Savior, will appear visibly to the whole earth. And that leads some to ask what verse 28 might mean. I mean, what is this thing about a corpse and the gathering of vultures? See, I think it's best to understand that as a proverb that was probably popular in Jesus' day. I don't mean a biblical proverb, but a common saying, something that people easily understood. Look, vultures see a corpse quite easily and are attracted to it. And the elect will know what to look for in a Savior. Very good. Having told us what to look for at the close of the age, Jesus now, and here I'm beginning at verse 29, where he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now stop again. You might remember that we began with the words in verse 22, if those days had not been cut short. There we said that those days refers to all the events since the time of Jesus until the second coming. Those days have been cut short, for if they had not been, no one would survive. Now, immediately after the tribulation, the Greek word is phlipsis, of those days, the days of suffering, after those days, You know, sometimes Bible readers, when they read the word tribulation, immediately assume it must refer to the seven-year tribulation during which the Antichrist reigns. But I think this is not what Jesus meant right here in this passage. He means the days of hardship or of great distress, from the days when the church was formed to the very end of the age, all the suffering that would occur from the formation of the church until his second coming. And so understanding that, let's read what Jesus said next. Verses 29 to 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other." That is, these are the events that will immediately proceed the second coming of our Lord. First, we will see heavenly disturbances. Now, I need to say, there are some Bible teachers who argue that this language should be understood figuratively. That is, for them, the sun darkened and the moon not giving its light and the stars falling and the heavens shaken means, for them, there will be political judgment on the nations and on the governments of the world. Now, if that's how we understand Jesus, this would be in line with what Revelation tells us about the destruction of Babylon or the destruction of the nations of the world. And so to see it as figurative, well, that's possible. But for me, the words immediately after the tribulation of those days tells me the nations of the world have already come to ruin. And furthermore, there have been times in history where the moment of judgment is at hand and where there are times of celestial distress. I mean, think of the ninth plague on Egypt, when the land of Egypt was ushered into complete darkness. Or think about what happened when Jesus was crucified. Matthew 27, 45 says, there was darkness over the land from the sixth until the ninth hour. See, I see no reason not to believe that just before Christ returns, that at that very moment, all the celestial bodies are suddenly darkened. What a moment. No sun, no moon, no stars, all the powers of heaven turn dark. The entire earth pauses. What does it mean? And then at that very moment, Jesus said, there will appear in the heavens a sign of the Son of Man. Now, we might wonder why it didn't just say, then I will appear in heaven. I mean, what is the the sign of the Son of Man? And it's been pointed out that the Greek word for sign can also be used of a standard. You might think about the ancient Roman standards that went ahead of the army into warfare. These were banners, symbols that spoke of imperial Rome and its power. That standard would cause fear to the enemies. And I think that's what Jesus is communicating to us. Suddenly all the earth is in darkness. Stars have fallen from the sky. It's as if God has switched off the sun. In the darkness, as all the earth gazes into the sky in horror, suddenly in the heavens, the standard or the great banner of the Son of Man unfurls across the sky so that all the earth sees it at the same moment. Then says Jesus, all the earth begins to mourn. And please don't misunderstand this mourning. See, there is a legitimate and genuine mourning over our sin as we repent and turn to Christ. That mourning, however, when the banner of Jesus spreads across the sky is not that. It's shrieking in terror. It's, it's weeping from those who are the enemies of Christ. And then says Jesus, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds and with power and great glory. And the use of the term Son of Man reminds us of a passage, Daniel seven thirteen to 14. It says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." And that's the picture. You see, here in Matthew, Jesus says that when he comes, he will come as the glorious Son of Man, and he comes to overthrow the kingdoms of man and lay them in waste, And as he does, he comes to establish his everlasting dominion, his rule, his authority that will not pass away. And as he appears in the heavens, the blast of a trumpet sound, the great commander, Jesus, shouts to his angels and they gather up the elect. And as Paul would say later, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will rise to receive their eternal bodies and those of us who are left alive will be changed forever. That's our blessed hope. And so when things appear dark, When they are hopeless, when you're lacking in zeal, or when it seems you're losing, remind yourself of these things. Yeah, there's great suffering in the present, but Christ will unfurl his banner, and he will come and claim this earth as his own, and he will bring his elect to himself. This is your hope. My dear brother or
0: sister in Christ, do not be discouraged. thanks so much, John. Can I ask you, what about this message should encourage those going through significantly challenging times?
1: Yeah, I, I know that uh, especially you know I mean the whole teaching of Jesus here at this point in time is is really directed at believers who will suffer hardship um, and uh, however <laughs> You know, we just need to recognize that the hardship doesn't have the last word. The best days are not behind us. They are before us. Our entire hope is not based on the assumption that things will get better in this life. They may not. They may. I mean, it's irrelevant because this world will pass away and Christ will return and it is in his eternal kingdom. That's where our
0: hope lies. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, The Beginning of Jesus' Passion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. You may think that estate planning is only for the wealthy but decisions about your home, family, your retirement, or even how you'd like to see your money used for ministry and for the kingdom. Well, that's important. Back to the Bible Canada has partnered with Advisors with Purpose to help you start and discuss those important decisions. Their trained estate specialists are available to meet you by phone and provide you with the information to make the best decisions possible for you and your family. As a result of our partnership, Advisors with Purpose has made their services free and confidential to you alone, leaving you free from any obligation. It's never too early to plan for your future, so call them today. To speak to an estate specialist today, call 1-866-336-3315. That's 1-866-336-3315 or visit advisorswithpurpose.ca for your free and confidential consult.